The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, this weekend has been pretty focused on musical rewrites, as many of you saw on Friday and Saturday here, as this place was transformed quite a bit. So I thought it would be appropriate to kind of start out the sermon this day with Andy Williams singing about, and even a little bit as, John the Baptist. Don't worry, it's short, it won't be too painful. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With Baptist John in prison, his disciples quizzing, his Messiah here or not. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap- happiest season of all. We can't wait for beheadings and illegal weddings. Oh, Herod the Gaul, it's the hap- happiest season of all. There'll be cold isolation with no food for tasting while tyrants are dancing above. I baptized in the Jordan, but what was it for then if Jesus won't give me no love? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Unless, oh yeah. (laughs) That was 15 minutes before bed last night. Unless... Unless you are John the Baptist. It's not such a wonderful time of year, is it? Now, of course, this is coming much later than Christmas. We don't know what month it is, but uh, certainly later than the birth of Jesus. Jesus has begun his ministry. Last time we saw John the Baptist, he was baptizing in the River Jordan. He was calling out people to gather. He was 
also calling out the authorities who opposed his message, those in fine robes, like Jesus talks about, those brood of vipers. Now he's imprisoned by Herod Antipas because he has spoken against him or for his illicit marriage and other things that are going on. But it's not so wonderful, so it's not so wonderful for John as he languishes in prison. And he kind of seems to wonder as he's in that place if the one who came to him in the River Jordan is truly the one. Was his ministry in vain? Was he barking up the wrong tree? Was he backing the wrong horse? And perhaps that's because John has been kind of casting a vision that looks a little bit more like Malachi 3 or even Micah 3. He's been looking for this fire of judgment. As you heard Pastor Bill say last week, he kind of set up the sermon for today with where we are with John. John gets it mostly right. Micah 3 says this, And I said, Listen, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have acted wickedly. Thus says the Lord concerning those who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who have nothing to put in their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without revelation. Whoa. Like I said, John last week had it mostly right. But he was looking for this bonfire where the wicked would be burned up. The Romans are cast out. Herod and other uh, illicit rulers would be cast away. And Christ would reign forever and ever. And certainly Jesus does bring offense. He does stir up conflict just as John did among religious leaders and the powerful and even many other people who listen to him. And John and will, or Jesus will, will share the faith that John has in a different way, but he will also be put to death by these powers, these corrupt powers that surround him. But Jesus' answer to John may give a little bit of a reframing to John's understanding, or at least kind of put it into focus. As Stanley Saunders from Columbia Seminary says, Jesus' ministry in contrast to John's, or at least some contrast to John's, has focused on healings, exorcisms, and public bank banquets with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, strong on healing and restoration, but weak on judgment and vindication. As John sits in Herod Antipas' prison awaiting death, which comes in chapter 14, he may be wonder, wondering whether and when the liberation of God's people from bondage and oppression really will take place. Well, our text today from Isaiah 35 and from Psalm 146 offer a little bit of a less than fire and brimstone kind of Messiah. And these may be the text from which Jesus draws in his ministry. They are just two examples of many others. There are probably four or five, almost exactly word for word as we hear in, in chapter 35 uh, from Isaiah that talk about this kind of vision. 
this reflection of, of mercy that is central to God's promise fulfilled. It isn't that John doesn't recognize these, by the way. I don't want to say that. It isn't that he doesn't want that mercy and that, and that fulfillment in that way, the healing and all that, that that brings. But uh, he's looking for that final fulfillment, something for which we wait as well, that kind of third expectation and hope that we have in this Advent season for Christ's coming again to fulfill all in all. But John wants to see it now. He wants to see the release of those who speak the truth, for sure. That's a big one for him, because he won't see the light of day again, apart from this prison that he's in at this point. He wants to see the bonfire of, of those who are corrupt in power, and no more tears or sorrow or occupation of God's people. Yet in Christ's work, in Christ, the work of God is coming in a much more kind of grassroots way. But in speaking the way that Jesus is speaking, he's not just correcting John, but he's also reassuring him. His answer is actually really a sign of, of Jesus' care for John. If he were to just, just to say, yes, I am the Messiah, to those disciples of John who've come to, to ask him, if he were just to say, yep, I'm the Messiah, what proof would he have? But instead, Jesus reaches back into Scripture so that John would know he would know from the consistency of God throughout the ages that all of these hopes that have been partly fulfilled are now, have now come to full fruition. Jesus, in other words, says the core values of God that you have, that you have seen and read in Scripture, and these are Scriptures that John would know, they have come to fulfillment in me. This is what I'm doing. Look, what you, look, what do you see? Listen, what do you hear? you will hear a consistent message and you will see healing and even the raising of the dead. All of the things that Jesus mentions have happened in the previous chapters if you want to go back and look at those. And in those deeds of power, Jesus is not only healing and reconciling, but he's also bringing people back into community. If we know kind of the culture of the first century, oftentimes illness or deformity or, or a handicap of any kind would isolate people from the community. It would, it would be seen, even sickness sometimes, seen as a kind of judgment from God. You must have done something wrong. You must be broken. Because you are broken in this way, you must have been broken by God. It must be a punishment, perhaps on your parents, perhaps on you, whatever it might be. And so there would be an isolation. You would be unclean and, and unworthy, even in some cases unable to enter into the temple as others were, into the presence of God. We have this mission to connect more to Christ, and it isn't just something we pulled out of thin air. It's something that comes from these core values that the Messiah brings to fruition here by connecting and healing and caring for those whom he encounters by bringing them back into the fullness of community, by challenging the ideas that they, that they are unworthy or that they are broken in some way, and bringing them back to wholeness once again. These deeds of Jesus also relate to the deeds of his body, to his people. In chapter 10, he has sent out his disciples into the, into the communities around them to uh, continue these, these words of hope and these deeds of power. 
bringing people into this promise of God. Jesus comes not as the fire that, that John envisioned, but more as an invitation. Come into this kingdom. Come into this reign of God. Come into this reality. John stood on the threshold of that reality, but now Jesus invites his disciples, and it's not just those 12 guys, but it's many others as well, men and women, children even, who are coming in to this reign of God, and he invites us in today with all of the hopes that we might have. Jason Gray has this wonderful song. I don't know that I ever would have heard it. My wife kind of discovered it on the radio. It's called With Every Act of Love. And Jason Gray in that song says, in one of the lines, God put a million, million doors in the world for his love to walk through. One of those doors is you. There is an element of Jesus' word, uh, uh, of this word that we hear from Jesus that sweeps us into the spreading of the joy this season. And it isn't just wishing somebody a Merry Christmas or a Happy Holiday, but it's a way of life. It's a way of being and acting and even speaking. It frames our words and our actions reflecting this reign of God that Jesus is ushering in. A way of mercy, a new kingdom, a new reality. And that means that we, yes we, are greater than John. Not because we have some greater status. Not because we stood by the river and baptized people. But because we have been drawn in by the one true God's Messiah. Our status is service, if it is anything. Our status is hope and carrying that hope. Our status is Christ and who we are in this new kingdom, which is born in us once again this season, this day. Jesus has pulled us across that threshold upon which John stood, pulled us into hope pulled us into love, into peace, into joy, into reconciliation and healing right here and now in the everyday ups and downs, in the regular life that we have, in the life of our community. John's greatness comes in that he is the capstone of the promise, the one who finally gets to see the fulfillment of God's collective promises. In fact, in a few verses later, John will actually or Jesus will actually say, if you're able to see it, John is Elijah. And Elijah was the one that that was hoped for, who would come and who would proclaim and who would prepare the way for God's Messiah. And now that time is here upon us once again. We may have some of the same questions as John. Are we getting this right? Is this the situation I had really hoped for? What can I do? How do I follow? What does Christmas mean for me once again as Christ is born in my heart and in our hearts again this day? And Jesus says it for us. Isaiah says it for us. The psalmist says it for us. Go and tell what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. These are the values that we carry in this season of Advent and in this Christmas season. This is our call. This is our invitation. This is the Christmas card from Jesus himself that says, Come and see. Come 
and work. Come and play in my kingdom with joy, with hope, with peace and reconciliation for you and that which you carry to those around you as well. You carry this in Christ's name. Amen.